It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 504 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, May 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, subscribing, rating, reviewing, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Himalaya. If you're in the market for a new podcast app, Himalaya is the one. It's great for personalizing your own podcast playlists and all that good stuff. So uh, give it a shot. Uh, All right. You can sense the dejection in my voice. Shouldn't be surprising. Uh, I've been marinating in the Raptors. Game 3 loss to the Sixers for about, I don't know, 18 hours now. And uh, it has not gotten much better since it happened. Uh, Of course, the Raptors lost 116.95 in Game 3 in Philly. It was bad. A lot of dumb things happened. The Raptors played like uh, crap outside of Kawhi Leonard being amazing. And joining me to talk about all of it and, uh, I guess, try to drum up some optimism for Game 4, because that's the brand of this podcast, is Joe Wolfon. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's great, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I spent uh, spent my night writing about Blazers Nuggets, which was good therapy. And the... Just the lack of existential angst and stakes <laughs> in that series is really refreshing. It's I really, awesome. yeah, I love They're that playing series. Playing with so much house money, and um, so yeah, that's that's a fun series. But uh, I was happy to turn my attention to in the wake of that <laughs> catastrophe. I was really disappointed that we didn't have one one of those games to follow up the Raptors game as a bit of like a nightcap to just sort of ease the nerves. Um, that series rules. I, I got asked a question in the Patreon podcast I did this week. Um, which I haven't posted yet, but I will post today after I finish this. Um, but someone asked me to like uh, what crimes all of the remaining NBA playoff teams, considering the Celtics are frauds, um, and I couldn't think of the crimes that the Nuggets and the Blazers are. They're too wholesome. I just love that series, and it's so nice, and like everyone's just happy. And uh, yeah, I, I that's not the case. What, what's going on right now in the Raptors series? Um, so I guess we should dive into it. Again, 116.95. They were, I think, especially bad in the second and fourth quarters. That seems just by the scoreboards, that tells you that they were that bad. Uh, I thought they were okay in the third, and they kind of got themselves within striking distance. And for a minute there, I was like, hey, maybe they can do this thing. Kawhi's playing at another level, and maybe they have enough juice here to shut the Sixers down for a quarter and, you know, pull this out, at least make it a close game. And. Uh, after Fred Van Vliet hit his only free throw of the night, he'd had no field goals, of course, 0 for 7 from the field, uh, to make it 89-82 at the start of the fourth. Uh, it went all downhill from there. And uh, there was, like, what, an 18-2 run or something crazy like that. Joe, what's your biggest takeaway from Game 3? What was the biggest reason the Raptors lost? Was there something... Uh, the first time you watched it and rewatched that stood out to you as, like, the biggest reason why they completely... Shat the bed in game three? Um, 
<laughs> that's really hard to like this is gonna sound really general and it is but the biggest reason is that everybody outside of Kawhi played like garbage <laughs> I mean like it's I just it was really jarring actually how when when you get right down to it like it seems like the Raptors maybe only have two guys who can reliably create their own offense and and I mean that run you're talking about at the start of the fourth like Kawhi was on the bench because he was at 32 minutes and obviously needed some kind of a breather mm-hmm. uh, Nick Nurse tries to buy him two minutes but there were still three starters on the floor and, and like Lowry, Gasol and Siakam were all out there and they couldn't hit a field goal for like six minutes mm-hmm. um, obviously like you know I'm not the first person to point this out but like the, the shots that they're turning down are just really galling Gasol has been a particularly bad offender the, the Sixers are just doubling off of him and when he's catching the ball above the break it's like he's either pump faking or he's not even looking at the rim he's just looking to swing the ball and that just makes it so much easier for Philly's defense um so there's that i mean their transition defense i thought was terrible um and honestly i thought the sixers played unbelievably well and Mm -hmm. i think that's something that can get lost when when we watch these games you know rooting for a particular outcome we tend to really hone in on that one thing and sort of take agency away from the opponent but the sixers have agency they're a really good team with a very high ceiling and I thought defensively they were really locked in. Their rotations and their closeouts were great. Embiid was an absolute monster protecting the rim. Um, and I thought they had a really good game plan coming in. And the Raptors kind of played right into it with their hesitance to, to take those shots. And frankly, I mean, when, when they were taking those shots, they weren't hitting them anyway. So mm-hmm. um, I, I just, yeah, it, it was just a bad game all around. The Raptors played really poorly. The Sixers played really well. And uh, here we are. Yeah, I would say this is probably the most extreme game we'll see in the series. I know the Raptors kind of blew the Sixers out in Game 1, but it wasn't to this degree where it was just one team entirely outclassing the other. Um, And, like, I do think that's about as bad as the Raptors can play, and that's probably about as well as the Sixers can play. They, like, Embiid was amazing. Him hitting three or four threes was just a killer, and it felt like every time that they'd, like, force him to settle for something that maybe you're okay with him taking, like an 18-footer or one of those threes. It's like, and then it's going down, and I can imagine that's quite deflating. Same as with, you mentioned, you know, the the rotations that the Sixers had in this game and how quick they were to close out. Um, They were just so on a string. There was a section there, I think, in the third quarter maybe, or maybe the fourth. I can't really remember now. Um, It's all blurred together because of the sadness, but... There was, like, a section of the game where there were, like, three or four possessions in a row where the Raptors had, like, incredible ball movement around the perimeter, swinging, driving, kicking, everything that you want, everything that makes the Raptors good, and the Sixers were just not allowing any inch for a shot to get up, and maybe that's an indictment of the Raptors' ball movement, but I don't think it was. Like, even, the, like, the broadcast, I was watching the ESPN broadcast, and they're like, man, that's incredible ball movement. They didn't get a shot out of that. What the hell? Um, and that, I think to your point, goes to the Sixers just being really locked in, and I guess the crowd in Philly was incredible, and maybe that, you know, sort of spurned them on. I don't know. Uh, This is a really hard game. Most blowouts are hard to really sort of analyze because, like, usually it does just come down to, like, one team playing really poorly. Um, And, you know, I think 
listening to uh, I think it was Stan Van Gundy on the Low Post this week talking about like all of the sort of strategy that we think goes into these things and a lot of time it's a lot more simple than it actually really we're making it out to be and it's just like did you try hard did you get offensive rebounds did you did you get your own rebounds like did, did you just like try and uh, that was not the case for the Raptors and I don't know if there's like a biggest culprit for the Raps. I like individually, it's hard to even pinpoint one. There were so many not very good performances. Probably Gasol. I thought his defense. The, the Sixers did a really good job. I thought of sort of switching up the way they use Embiid, and instead of just like throwing it to him in the post, which is where Gasol's kind of had success. And there were a few times where he stonewalled, stonewalled him pretty well in the post. They ran a lot of pick-and-roll with Embiid, and that's not something the Sixers ever do, really. They're, like, one of the lowest pick-and-roll teams in the league, but if there is an area where Gasol is going to struggle, it's sort of having to go vertical, right, and have to patrol that whole area between the basket and the top of the arc, and I thought they did a really good job of forcing him to do that and defend in space, and Embiid got a lot out of that. And, you know, the threes, I mean, in in motion, like, in the, in the minute in, when the game is happening... It doesn't always feel like he's passing up like wide open looks. I don't know. It's like okay, that that was maybe something he was going to have a little contest on, and maybe it was smart of him to move it along. But then Vivek Jacob, our pal, uh, posted a screen grab uh, today. Go to his Twitter at Vivek M Jacob of like three instances in which he got the ball on the perimeter, and there was nobody near him, and he didn't shoot any of them. And it's just like. You got to do it, man, and and it doesn't. I don't think he was coached not to take those shots. Like Nick Nurse has said, uh, he said before yesterday's game that he thinks Gasol's got to do more and take more shots and be a little bit more aggressive. And he just wasn't. He didn't take that uh, that bit of coaching, and that hurt the Raptors a lot. And it's, I I don't know. It people still kind of harp on the matching and beating Gasol thing, and I, I believe it's a little bit. It was a little bit better in this game. Uh, in terms of matching those two, but if Gasol's going to play like garbage, then the matching doesn't really matter at this point, and it's just like it, like whoever is guarding Embiid isn't going to matter if Gasol is not, A, defending Embiid well enough to make a difference and sort of do what you traded for like when you made the deal, and if he's not going to you know stretch Embiid out on defense and make it more difficult on that end too, it's just, it, it kind of is all moot point. Um, I don't know. Did you did you think there was anything the Raptors did well in this game? Let's put it. Let's let's start there, and then we can maybe peel back some other layers of the onion here. Was there anything that you thought the Raptors, outside of Kawhi, just being really good? Um, like, what um, did they do well? Was there anything? Uh, no, honestly, I, I don't <laughs> think there was a single thing. And Kawhi was incandescent. Like he was so unbelievably good uh, offensively. I actually thought defensively he had maybe like a B minus kind of game, um, mm-hmm. but. Uh, no, and like all you know, all those points you made are well taken. Um, the Gasol thing, I, I think, like the amount of space that he has on some of those screen grabs is like it overstates things just a bit because he does have such a slow release that yeah. it's almost like that space isn't quite as valuable to him as it would be for a different shooter. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're talking about the Sixers' rotations, and I think it just makes it so much easier for them. It's like what. Some of them you see when Gasol's catching the ball above the break, and they're already sort of rotating toward where the next pass is going to go because he hasn't created the expectation or the fear that he's that he's going to let it fly. Um, so I definitely think he has to pull the trigger there. And and to go back to your point about the Sixers running more pick and roll, um, I thought that was a great strategy. And I've always sort of thought you like remember when Butler got there 
and sort of early on he said that he thought that that the Sixers needed to be running more pick and roll and a lot of people sort of rolled their eyes at that or said it's like you know classic Jimmy just making friends wherever he goes but I thought that he was correct and I think this game bore that out like whether it was him or Tobias Harris who were running those pick and rolls like you saw how difficult that can be to guard because those guys are both pretty good mid-range shooters so if you drop back you know they can pull up and hit those and if you play up um Butler especially I think is capable of beating you off the dribble so um I just think the Raptors didn't seem particularly prepared for the amount of pick and roll that they ran. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one of the big things there is they, they have to find a way to just help more aggressively off of Simmons when Simmons on the floor. And the Sixers did a good job of stashing him, like, on the opposite side of the floor, so it made it more difficult for the Raps to, to bring that help over. But I think, you know, whoever it is who's guarding Simmons in those situations just need, needs to, like, totally ignore him no matter where he's standing uh, and try and muck things up in the middle. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, I uh, I think I'm with you there. It, the pick and roll thing with Embiid kind of reminds me of like the whole thing, the debate with Jonas for so many years, right? It's like okay, they keep having him just post up, and that's fine, and he's good at it, I guess, and he's getting a point per possession. But what if he was a roll man, and then he became a roll man and was like deadly efficient, and uh, you know, then Embiid is also all the things that Jonas was not as well, on top of being an insane roll man when he wants to be. Like it's just it, he was. I was banking on Embiid not being that Embiid in this series because of the health and I guess the the poops were way more of a <laughs> of, an, of a factor in the way he was playing than the knee, I guess, in the first two games. I don't know. Um, maybe he was just, like, energized by the crowd and, like, you get going and you just kind of you go on adrenaline, I suppose. But, um, like, that was a way more spry-looking and dangerous-looking Embiid than I thought we were going to see in this series. And that, you know, the reason I picked Raps in five off the top was because I thought Embiid was going to be diminished. And if I had expected Embiid to be this Embiid, then I maybe would have, you know, picked something longer. And, you know, it's it's tough. It's it's hard to deal with. They're extremely talented. They have a lot of good players, and it makes it really hard. you got to make decisions on defense that you don't want to make. Um, and that's why it's so crucial, I think, for the Raps to take advantage of the times when they don't have all their starters on the floor because as good as James Ennis has been so far, like, they're really, really thin. They ran pretty much seven guys last night, um, and I guess eight guys, yeah. Greg Monroe played too. That's the thing. Greg Monroe's fucking playing. Like, you got to be able to take advantage of those minutes, and, it, you know... Like he's totally outplaying Ibaka in this yeah, series. It's like, absurd. It's insane, and it's you just can't have that because that's where the series is going to hinge. 
um, is on those minutes where each team has a chance. I sound like a broken record because I think I've said this on every podcast since this series started, but like the times where each team's really good starting five is not fully intact on the court, you know, that's where they the other team is going to have to take advantage, and the Raptors have not done that. Um, actually, I think Derek Bodner tweeted out today that uh, even with last night, the, the Sixer starters were a plus 12 in 12 minutes against the Raptors starters uh, with both starting fives on the court. Uh, still, the Raptors lead that 89-83 over the course of the series. Um, and it's just the bench guys have been absolutely non-existent. Like, what the hell is going on with Fred? Like, what is like what is happening with Fred VanVleet, man? I don't know. Like he looks so good to finish the regular season. It yeah. feels like years ago. But do like do you remember how good he looked when he came back from that thumb injury? Like it seemed yeah. like his back had healed up in the time that he'd taken off. He was moving well. Like he was taking guys off the dribble. He was finishing at the rim. He was hitting shots. And he can't do anything. Like he can't do anything. He can't penetrate. He can't shoot. And he, I mean, he continues to over dribble the ball. It's always been a bit of an issue for him. But at least sometimes. You know, in the past, we've seen that he's able to create off the bounce a little bit. And now it's like he'll take a couple dribbles, like recognize that he can't puncture the defense at the point of attack. He'll pull it back out. And it's like, well, there goes seven or eight seconds, and we've done nothing. Uh, I just, I don't know. And, I mean, he had a couple of really clean three-point looks last night, too, mm-hmm. that he just bonked, like not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I like... I don't know what would be more comforting to think that it's like, you know, he's in his own head a little bit or to think that like there's something physically bothering him. I feel like I don't take a lot of comfort in either of those possibilities. Yeah, I mean, is he just broken from what happened in game one against the Cavs last year? Like it's 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 inexplicable really, because he feels like I mean, his name is literally Steady Freddy. It feels like he is someone who should not be like affected by the bright lights or like yeah. I don't know. It's really, really perplexing because it's just cutting off any sort of source of offense the second unit's going to have. And I guess where they saved that a little bit in the, in the late in the third quarter yesterday was they just had Kawhi run every possession and he scored every time down, and that was great. Um, and, and so maybe with that in mind, do you think there's a, like a scenario in which Fred just gets cut from the rotation in the series? Maybe like Nick Nurse just says you know what, Fred can't hang in this series because he's not big enough or whatever it is. He's always at a, at a disadvantage both on offense and defense in this series. Um, like, especially if Butler's going to be the second unit point guard, like, it's it's a damn shame Brett Brown's not throwing a bone and having TJ McConnell play because that's where Van, v- Van Vliet could play, but he just can't really hang physically against any of these. He's not Lowry in the post. Like, he doesn't have the big ass to sort of keep him upright and play bigger than he is listed. Um... Do you think, I guess how you do this, I suppose, is like you take out Van Vliet's minutes, you give McCaw a bunch of those, you maybe scale up Norm a little bit, and then, because I think the Meeks experiment should be done, even though we had four points last night, like get that out of my face, please. Um, McCaw got the emergency minutes, didn't do anything in those minutes, but that seemed like a pretty tough spot to be put in for him. So I guess like what I would say is just make sure whenever Kyle's sitting, you have Kawhi on the floor to sort of be the point guard, I guess, would be yeah. my solution. And then you just have McCaw take over Fred's minutes and at least he can kind of create some havoc on defense. I don't know. Does that, a, does that work for you at all? I don't think... Like, I, ultimately, Fred is 
still so much better than McCaw. Like, I, I just, I know he's been terrible in the playoffs, but I don't really think that you're gaining much by making the swap. Mm-hmm. What I do think they could do or should do, I mean, first of all, I think that Fred, Lowry, Norm, uh, like, three-man unit can't play together. Like, that that, that lineup's just too small mm-hmm. to go against Philly. Um, but you saw, like, the, the, the good looks that Fred actually managed to get in game three were off the catch and anytime he, he pulled up off the dribble it's like his he got a three-pointer is clean blocked by tobias harris like he's not creating that separation mm-hmm. but if he's like you can have him on the floor when reddick's out there and i think he can do a decent job chasing reddick around and that's a good defensive landing spot for him and then offensively you know you have him playing off the ball and if reddick's guarding him then you know maybe use him as a screener a bit like they didn't attack reddick at all that that was something that jumped out to me also like mm-hmm. i feel like in game one they were really like they were screening with reddick's man a lot to try and get that switch and attack him and i just like do you remember seeing like i, I think siaka maybe took him once but like for the most part they just didn't even bother yeah i think maybe i, I know in game one they had some success with like danny's kind of slipping and you know getting to the rim for those easy layups Game two, they seemed to go away from that a little bit, and then, you know, he got a couple of, like, post-ups against Redick, and they didn't go super well, and maybe they just, like, have realized maybe we don't want Danny Green having to be the guy to exploit this mismatch. I I don't know. It's... There are more creative ways to do it, though, instead of just, like, running a pick and roll with Danny Green being the screener, or um, having... uh, green post up reddick like i feel like there's more creative ways to do it and i guess that kind of gets to the next part which we should get to which uh most people have been mad about the entire series i have been kind of indifferent on it and while i made some jokes about nick nurse last night i don't ultimately think he's that much to blame for what happened in this game because everyone played like shit and if you want to say oh we didn't get them prepared enough then fine that that can be your argument if you want um, I do feel like talking about coaches and like comparing them to past coaches, it's always just like moving goalposts, and I don't think it's ever a very fruitful conversation. Um, but like, I don't think Nick Nurse has gone out of his way to win this series for the Raptors right now, and I think he's had some issues. Where are you at on like Nurse right now, and how he is complicit, or if he's complicit at all, in what's going on here? I mean, I have, I hadn't been a fan of how he coached. Uh, you know, at least game two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can't, I, like, I don't put that game three loss on him really at all. And I, I mean, he did make some rotational adjustments. Like, he, he more closely matched Gasol and Embiid's minutes for all the good that did the Raptors. <laughs> um, you know, and like you said, he, he ditched Meeks. Uh, he didn't go to him for that token 90 seconds, you know, either at the end of the first or the end of the third quarter as he did in game one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the offense didn't look great. Uh, I like they, they were just. I felt like they were moving slowly. Uh, they, they they weren't really running creative stuff. Like obviously, they went to what was working, which was just Kawhi basically operating in isolation. And I don't know what you do about that when nobody else is really going. But I felt like there wasn't a ton of movement, and uh, everything they got was coming really hard. So I don't know if there's. You know, some kind of stuff he can do going back to the drawing board and trying to figure out how to open the offense up a little bit. But I, at the end of the day, I still just think it comes down to taking and making open shots, which they haven't been doing for the last two games. Mm-hmm. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And then there's Lowry. Uh, one of his, I would say this was much worse than his zero-point game in game one against the Magic. Uh, 2 of 10, 0 of 4 from deep. Uh, anytime it seemed like he had a chance to make a shot that would kind of like tilt the tide of the game a little bit, it just bricked. Uh, minus 28, which is very unlike Kyle, of course. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I... Yeah, the, like, yeah, like it's so hard. I just want to be able to defend Kyle Lowry and not have like a couple of these like really stand out, really bad games get thrown back in my face all the time. But like, fuck, mm. dude, like it's <laughs> it's hard to defend. Like it's it was yeah. a bad game, really bad. Um, yeah, I mean he's been doing a lot of foul baiting the last couple of games, mm-hmm. which I have not enjoyed at all. Um, I mean, I understand why he does it. Like, he's the shortest guy on the floor, and as a short player who also plays basketball, I'm sympathetic to that. Like, when you get into the paint and you have a shot at a layup, but there's somebody way bigger than you who's close by, your instinct is to sort of rush, um, you know, or try and draw contact. Like, I get it. But I think he's he's gotten to a place where, like, when he's driving, what he's looking to do is basically get fouled, and he's not even really trying in good faith to score the basketball um and he's not getting the whistle so uh that hasn't been great obviously he shot the ball really poorly in that game um and i thought he had some like uncharacteristic defensive mistakes too where he would just like get boxed out and give up offensive rebounds i mean he there were a bunch of times and this goes to like the Sixers' size and the raptors sort of inability to match it but he was matched up on james ennis a bunch and Mm. he just you know, a little bit physically overmatched in that lineup is as strong as he is and as sturdy as he is for his size. Uh, he had a tough time keeping Ennis off the glass. Yeah, the defense was weird. Like this was maybe one of the only games where I had no confidence in his post defense. It felt like whether it was Tobias Harris or Butler or whoever, like it kind of felt like they could get whatever they wanted against him. And maybe that's just like a one game outlier thing, and it'll be fine going forward. But that that was a little alarming to me because usually that's such a thing you can count on right is like he's gonna you know wall up in the post and it's gonna result in either a turnover or a bad shot from somebody and mm. it felt like maybe the Sixers had figured that out a little bit or again maybe it was just a bad defensive game from Kyle all told the defense in this game was what like the offense was awful but the defense was what lost them the game and kind of betrayed what I thought was their big advantage coming into the series it was that you know the Sixers with their starting five there's two guys you can attack there pretty confidently in Harris and Redick and two guys who are always going to be if not total liabilities at least like potential liabilities like hanging out there and the Raptors starting five in theory doesn't have any of those weak spots and that was why I was so confident in them like they can discard anybody and they're fine and like they'll, they'll it'll make they'll make it work but with the pick and roll stuff they ran against the Gasol, that kind of exposed him a little bit. Lowry just not being sharp. I don't know what it was. Like their defense became way more easy to poke holes in. And, and I, like I don't know, did you see anything that they were doing defensively that was different? Because it really felt like for the first eight quarters of the series, the Sixers had no answer to score in the half court on them. 
And maybe it was just as simple as running more pick and roll, and the Raptors weren't prepared for that, and they have a couple days to adjust here and be ready for that. But um, it feels like it's got to be more than that, or just a lack of effort. I don't know. It, it just to see the defense, which has been so dominant the entire playoffs and going into the playoffs, to just have a stinker like this. Like I guess it happens to everybody. And that's like the one thing everyone's like freaking out. The Raptors got blown out. Look, every team in the playoffs has gotten blown out so far. I'm pretty sure. Um, like it, it happens. These things take place, and it's fine. Uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, probably. But like, for it to happen in Game Three after two really, really good defensive games, I'm still just kind of sitting here scratching my head as to what the hell happened. Yeah, so like I said before, I think transition was a big issue. They weren't picking up shooters. They were totally disorganized. I mean, there was that one uh, possession where Butler literally just dribbled the length of the floor and nobody picked him up. Um, yeah. That was an issue. Uh, they were struggling as, you know, they tend to, as most teams tend to, with that Embiid, uh, Redick, two-man action. Um, and there's not really a good answer for that, but like there were a couple times when uh, Gasol just like didn't come out high enough to contest Redick's shot coming around um, on the dribble handoff. Um, and I mean, I think this, a lot of it was good offensive execution by Philadelphia. Good shot making. Um, I, again, you know, Embiid going three or four from three is just a killer because you know if if you can't. <laughs> If you can't call it a win for the defense when you're basically playing off of him and goading him into those three-point jump shots, then I don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hurt. Um, I actually I thought Lowry held up okay in the post. He stopped Tobias Harris a couple of times. He stopped Butler once. Um, I didn't think that was a particularly big issue, but uh, they just they were a bit soft. And I think again it goes back to like they got to have one of like you know Siakam or Kawhi guarding Simmons and when Simmons doesn't have the ball those guys need to be roving and just like ready to disrupt where you know wherever the ball happens to be mm-hmm. and and I, I don't think the Raptors did a good enough job of that in in game three they let the Sixers pretty much get whatever they wanted yeah uh all good points I <sighs> just it sucks, man. Yeah. It's just like being on the internet. It's just wretched. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, I mean, that's, God. look, it, I don't think it's as doom and gloom. And obviously, this is not unique to the Raptors fan base. Um, but yeah. maybe it is exacerbated for the Raptors just on account of the you know the playoff ghosts that haunt this franchise. But like, I you know they could very easily come back and win Game Four, and then suddenly you know it's a best of three. Uh, and the Raptors have home court advantage, yeah. you know? So yeah. um, I do think these things can get blown out of proportion, but they are undeniably on the ropes right now, and uh, they got to come out and win game four. And in order to do that, you know, they have to address all this stuff we've talked about. They have to make adjustments. And and on top of, you know, whatever tactical tweaks, you know, they're going to make, they have to just straight up play better. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to hit shots. They have to take shots. And... Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's hard to see it happening after you watch a performance like that. But, you know, just go back and watch game one again and remind yourself that that happened like four days ago. Yeah, or watch like Bucks celtics games one and two. <laughs> like, right. playoff series, yeah. There's like so very little in the way of like game to game consistency in the performances of teams. Especially with like two days off. I don't know. I, I, I'm feeling less shitty than I did last night for sure. Um, just kind of thinking about 
like the Raptors are still really good, man. It's still a fucking good team that a lot of people have picked to go to the finals and a few have picked to win the, the damn thing altogether. Like th- there's a reason for that. And the like I guess it depends how much you get affected by like the lazy oh Raptors choking the playoffs again takes that come out. And I guess it's just grading cuz it's like I follow a lot of people who I think are very smart on the Wretched Hell site and then the, like as soon as the Raptors do something bad, it's like, oh, same old Raptor. And it's like, they're objectively different. And this is also the first time they've lost convincingly in these playoffs, which I think makes them the last team to have a convincing loss. Like, it's... It just kind of gets a little grating, I suppose, even though I should probably look at the Wretched Hell site less. <laughs> that, that's probably yeah. the answer here, is just uh, get off Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say that's a good idea. Like, it's, it's always nice to commiserate after a game like that um but there's definitely a threshold that you don't want to cross uh (laughs) when when it can really spiral into a lot of negativity uh that can put you in in a mood um so yeah i'd say avoid that and and just like sort of focus on like you said the fact that this team is still really really good they still have the best player in the series uh Who's playing out of his fucking gourd, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And, you know, if, if nothing else, if the Raptors really are going down in the second round, which, again, I, I don't actually think they are. I think they're going to come back and win the series. But, like, if they are, I mean, just enjoy watching what may well be the final games of Kawhi Leonard playing with the Toronto Raptors because it's, it's really been unbelievable <laughs> to watch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we might not see anything like it for a really long time. So, uh, Actually... I feel much more confident about Kawhi staying after seeing the picture posted by uh, at stolen yeah. by Kawhi from I'm guessing someone's Facebook page of Kawhi and Kyle Lowry at Insomnia Cookies in Philly last night around 1 a.m. Together, Kawhi did not distance himself from the team. He went out for a uh, a team cookie run, at least with Kyle. Maybe they went to talk about things, talk about where Kawhi is going to live next year. Um, <laughs> it's really fucking stupid that that seeing that picture made me feel better. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, I was actually that that was one of the the things I felt really good about was seeing how overwhelmingly positive the reaction was to that. Whereas I feel like it, it could have easily gone the other way, especially you know, I mean, if Kyle Lowry was seen there by himself, I'm sure it would have gone the other way. <laughs> but but the fact that he was there with Kawhi uh, obviously made people feel uh, a little bit better. So Yeah, I certainly hope Kyle didn't do the thing I did when I went to Insomnia Cookies in Boston, uh, which was eat an entire six-pack by myself. But um, Or maybe he was thinking he just like needed a little bit more heft in the booty. You know, he wasn't he wasn't feeling the post-defense. And it's like, this is, this is the between-games adjustment. Uh, speaking of between-games adjustments, uh, going into game four... Are there any things that you really, really want to see from Nick Nurse or the Raptors as, as you know, as it comes to how they attack the Sixers? Is it just a matter of playing less shittily? Uh, I don't know. Like, what can they do? Do you think to sort of get themselves back in control of the series? I mean, I think we've pretty much mentioned it. You know, it's just being more active uh, in terms of help defense, like being in tune. Uh, in transition and uh, not being so hesitant to shoot the ball, attacking Redick a little bit more. Um, I mean, it would be nice if if Gasol could do anything as a scorer in the post, but like he got stonewalled by Tobias Harris a couple times in this last game, and like basically to stop trying after that. Mm-hmm. 
he's just got to be better. Everybody's got to be better. I mean, uh, it sounds simple, but like they, they are capable of playing way better across the board. And as much as we talk about the Sixers and how well they played and how talented they are, how high their ceiling is, I still do think the Raptors are a better team, which means their destiny is in their hands. You know, if they play to their full capabilities, then they should win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, they've, they've done it before. They've proved that they can beat up on the Sixers and that they can match up with them pretty well. It's just a question of going out there and doing it. And I think the, the bench might have to be on a shorter leash. I mean, this is as close to a must-win game as you're going to get without it being an actual elimination game. So I do think the starters need to be playing, you know, upwards of 40 minutes maybe in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, aside from that, it's just it's just like effort, execution, and uh, and keeping their cool too. You know, I think there were a couple times. Obviously, the Siakam thing stood out, and that yeah. pretty much spelled the end of the game uh, when when he came up with that flagrant. But like there was another one in the first quarter where Ibaka elbowed Redick, and the game it was a one point game at that point in time. And like the Raptors, I don't think ever even got that close again. Uh, every time it seemed like they were sort of creeping closer, there would be like a mental miscue that they would make uh, that would that would totally derail them. So yeah, that was like when come. Danny Green picked up that uh, tech on the four point play, he gave up to Butler in game two as well. Um, yeah, like, yeah, and in this one, like he had, you know, the Raptors were kind of chipping away, making a comeback, and he he got a technical foul basically for stepping on the sideline while trying to defend an inbounds. Like yeah. stuff like that was happening all game. Uh, where it's just, you know, anytime they threatened to get over the hump, uh, something would just go awry, and they they weren't able to keep their composure. So um, hopefully they'll be able to do that in Game 4. <laughs> yeah, it was very much not the ref's fault last night. I know Scott Foster's an easy target, but, like, they play like dicks. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, if you're putting that yeah. game on the refs, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> missing the point like, watch the game again. They got destroyed. Yeah, also, uh, if I'm Nurse... I know it's hard to do when you have an established rotation, and I get it. And, like, piecing it all together is difficult. In-game sort of situations, foul trouble, the way guys are playing, the Sixers' own bizarre sub-patterns, it makes it hard. But I wonder if there's a way that Nurse can just stop playing the Ibaka-Powell-Vanvliet trio together. Like, get them into the game. Get them the minutes. Like, obviously guys have to rest, but, like, stop playing them together with two starters. I think it has to be a thing yeah, because well, it's just not working. Basically more closely match the Sixers rotation pattern, yeah. which is to, to almost never have more than two bench guys on the floor at once. Yeah. And that, that means shorter shifts. Um, but I think, you know, if, if that, if the result of that is that you don't have to have those three guys on the floor at once, then yeah, I think that's probably a win. Yeah. And like, I, I, again, I understand the argument for why it's hard, but also the Sixers do it. So it's clearly not impossible. Um, and it's a similar situation where you have five guys who are very good and drive winning and some other guys who, in theory, are better than the bench guys for the Sixers. has not been true in this series whatsoever. James Ennis has by far, I think, been the best reserve in this series. Um, and like, so I know it's tricky, but if they can do it with their setup, there's no reason the Raptors can't try to mirror that. And, like, they didn't practice today. I feel like Nick Nurse should have just been, like, sitting down with one of those charts just, like, mapping out minutes like, and just trying to yeah. figure out a new way to piece it together. Because I'm looking at the three-man units right now for the playoffs for the Raptors. Every, like, their first, like, 12 on the list here are all, like, plus 20 net ratings or better, all sub-100 defensive ratings, all north of 120 offensive ratings, all with different starter combinations. Uh, after that, the next best, next most used group is the Powell-Van Vliet 
uh, Ibaka won a 94.5 offensive rating, 91.2 defensive. They're plus 3.3, but I think a lot of that's from the Sixer series. Uh, sorry, from the Magic series. And uh, like the Siakam Van Vliet Ibaka trio is a minus 11.2. Let's not see that anymore. It, it's just it, it's Nurse. I think. If there's an area in which he's really, really kind of fallen short, it's just not realizing what lineups are good and not. And again, maybe you need more sample on those to be able to tell, but like he does not have, it seems like a good gut feel for this type of stuff, and it's it's a little troubling. So hopefully he can adjust it for game four, and they'll have just like, they'll be in a better position to succeed, all of the guys on the floor, but... Just not having those three together. It doesn't have to be a blanket sub where those three come in at once and you're just like, all right, here, here we're going with two starters. Like It's just you can be a little bit more nuanced with it, I think, and a little bit more strategic in how you pattern them. And maybe just only have one of Powell or Van Vliet on the floor at once or only one of Ibaka and Powell. Like It's just there's a way to do it, I think. And actually, I think especially the Powell-Van Vliet one because of the size problems that the Sixers pose is probably. Um, and I think you mentioned this earlier, actually. Just like split those guys up. Get them the minutes they need, but split them up if you can. Yeah, it'd be really nice to get a Norm playoff game right about now, huh? Uh-huh. Hey, game five's coming soon. Although, I guess game four against the Bucks is where he really shone. So, maybe it's coming up for him. Yeah, it was game four and five in that Bucks series, actually, where he really turned it. So, uh, maybe uh, that's coming. Let's is this hope. going to be the most uh, anxious lead-up to a Raptors playoff game ever? Because of all the um, shit hanging on it with Kawhi and everything? Yeah, it might be. I mean... Game four of the know. Bucks series, I was a goddamn wreck before. I know yeah, that. Yeah, and that was like... That game three was even more dispiriting, I think, than this one was. Uh-huh. Like, they just got so totally swamped and overwhelmed in that game. I've never seen a team look so shook in the playoffs before. They were down by like 25 points after nine minutes. It was a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was not confident at that point that they were going to win the series. And obviously the Sixers are a better team than that Bucks team was, but this Raptors team is way better than that Raptors team was. So I am feeling like a little bit better about this game four than I was about that one. But yeah, like you said, I mean, just given everything that's at stake right now, <laughs> Uh, it's it's definitely going to be pretty angsty up in here. Yeah, I think it's this game, game four against the Bucks, and like game seven against the Pacers, probably. It's probably yeah. the ones. Um, yeah, I mean that game five against the Wizards last year, actually, weirdly enough. Uh, I wasn't too worried because they were at home and the Wizards were. A joke, Maybe it was just but... while it was because the Wizards were up like five points a few minutes into the fourth quarter of that game. So true, true. at that point in time, I was feeling not great about things. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, ugh, if we can, like, if one of our bench guys can just be as good as James Ennis or Greg Monroe has been in this series, I'll feel a lot better. Yeah, I think we're going to get a Norm game. I think he's been good. Like, he's been, he's not been good. None of the bench guys have he's been, been good. A, he's been aggressive. He's been so the best of the guys. bench guys, and I think his defense has been pretty acceptable I don't want to say yeah, like amazing or anything but I think it's been pretty good mm-hmm. um, so yeah Norm you heard it here first is going off for 18 4 and 4 in game 4 baby <laughs> let's see it uh, I think that's probably about it actually there's one more thing I wanted to touch on here Joe before I've, I've kept you for too long probably but there's one more thing sort of was circulating last night after the game uh, among Raptors internet fellows. Uh, 
the whole Gasol trade and like kind of relitigating it. That's this is what you want to do right now. I don't know. <laughs> do I? <laughs> um, that's that should not be a conversation right now, right? I mean, it's pointless. Uh, <laughs> but if if that's how you want to spend your time, I mean, look, it, I do think it's interesting, and I I think Gasol's been fantastic for the most part in the playoffs. Uh-huh. And, you know, I don't think we should judge him or the trade on what I think was possibly his worst game as a Raptor. But I do think it's interesting. I mean, the things that he gives you are things that JV didn't necessarily give you. Um, And it would sure be nice to have a lot of what JV brought right now. Mm. Um, You know, the ability to actually get a mismatch and dump the ball into the post and expect that you're going to get a bucket. That would be really, really nice. Um, it would be really nice to have a role man who actually rolls hard to the rim and can finish as opposed to one who's basically just catching the ball and looking to pass it off. Uh, I think Gasol's done a lot of really, really good things for the team, and I do think their offense sort of needed uh, the diversification that he brought and the connectivity that he brought. Mm-hmm. But I think you're seeing right now that you know a lot of JV's skills are things that they miss. And it's like I was saying you know, at the top, they they really don't have a lot of guys who can create their own offense. And, you know, JV doesn't create his own offense in the traditional sense, but you can give him the ball and expect him to get you a bucket in the post. Uh, And that's something they're obviously not getting right now from Gasol. And I think it's just making the Sixers lives quite a bit easier. So I don't think, I think, I think it's pointless to relitigate this whole thing. (laughs) Gasol was amazing in that magic series. He was really, really good defensively in the first couple of games of this series. And I do think he'll bounce back, and and I just there's no real point in having this conversation. Like, <laughs> sorry, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I just it just I guess it was one of those one game over reactions that really gets to me because it's just like we don't need to dive in this headlong into the despair. Like, it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a referendum on everything they've done. You know, it's one bad game, and mm-hmm. yes, Jonas's post, you know, scoring would be nice. But at the same time, uh, you know how Marcus Saul got killed in the pick and roll last night. Guess who would have got even more killed? <laughs> Jonas Valanciunas, which is why they traded him. So yeah, that I just I want maybe I wanted to bring this up just as a uh, a plea to people to just like you know. View it as the one game that it is. Be upset about it. There's plenty of reason to be upset about it, but it doesn't have to be a referendum on everything that they've done this season. They're down 2-1. Teams come back from 2-1 all the time, and uh, they still have very much have it within the, within the series, I think. And, and I don't know. Like, What would you pick now? What was your pick before the series? What are you thinking now? Uh, pick before the series was Raptors in 5, and I think I will play Optimist and go Raptors in 7. Yeah, I uh, I could see them winning the next two, lose Game Six and go back home. Yeah, that 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 checks out to me. I yeah, why not? Yeah, that feels right. Why not? Or come back from down three one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, it happens is Raptors in seven. So stick with that. All right, uh, Joe. Thank you so much for indulging me in conversations both worthy and unworthy of having. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, you know what it. I mean, though. Like, I, oh yeah. I, I, I do, like, I understand if you weren't a fan of that trade 
from the start and you're sort of seeing now all the things borne out that you were worried about when that trade went down, you know, I can understand being frustrated and, and wanting to use this game as a referendum on that trade because it's like this, if you were, you know, a fan of keeping JV and, and didn't like this trade and what it meant for the team, like this was exactly the reason why. Yeah. So I get it. It's just the trade got made. It's been really beneficial in a lot of ways. So, you know, I don't think now is the time to relitigate it. I think we also might see a big Gasol offensive game soon, too. Like, next game. Like, I can see it. I can see it. He, he got a little bit off of Harris in the post yesterday. What's it, how, how many shots is he going to take? Is he going to take eight shots, maybe? Nine? <laughs> Could he go to nine? Man, that'll be like a 50% increase. So, that count me in for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, before we get too sad, we should wrap this thing up. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the pod. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, nothing specifically. I'm not really writing about the Raptors these days because uh, Joe Cacharo's got you guys covered for that uh, on the score front. Um, but I'm writing about every other series, uh, putting out about three features a week during the playoffs. So um, you can check me out at the score. You can listen to Pound the Rock, which is mine and Joe Cash's NBA podcast. And uh, you can follow me at um, Joey underscore W on Twitter. Hell yeah, uh, Pound the Rock rules. You guys do such a good job with that. Uh, and I feel smarter after listening to it because I'm Thanks, buddy. dumb. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Himalaya. Uh, Patreon.com slash Raptors. If you want to chip me a couple bucks a month for uh, admittedly sporadic podcasts, as Joe knows, um, it's, uh, it's a bit of a time crunch. But uh, I got a mailbag podcast coming up today. There is uh, – there will be more sort of deeper dive history Raptors stuff in the summer for sure. Once uh, my schedule becomes less of a uh, – stops making my brain into mashed potatoes mostly. And uh, so, yeah, expect that. It's 2 bucks for half of the podcast essentially, 5 bucks for all the podcasts. There's a Discord chat as well you can hop into and we can uh, share our pain together. So uh, think about that if you're, in the inter- if you're interested in some more Raptors content or just want to support me. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Sean with the Raptors. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you on Sunday evening, probably after Game 4, with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.